0: Hi everybody, welcome back to the podcast. So this one is the first one where I have a guest involved, and as you would have already seen, I have Ben Pakulski on this week, which is really awesome. Uh, I'm not one for big intros, but if you don't know who Ben is, i definitely give him a quick Google. At one point, he was one of the top bodybuilders in the world, and he's just created a, a great business where he's essentially all focused on education and making other people better. Uh, If you want to check Ben out, they are coming out, him and Milo Sachev to Sydney, Bali, and Dubai, doing some muscle camps, as you'll hear in the episode. So head to musclecamps.com to check that out, and you can obviously also follow him on social media. Anyway, we'll get straight into it. See you on the other side. Um, So, hey, man, thanks very much for for doing this. This is is pretty cool. Uh, It's going to be very exciting. You'll be my first podcast guest.
1: Oh, dude, that's cool. Um, man, I, I see you flourishing. I see you doing well and like love to be a part, love to contribute and hopefully uh, see you grow and continue to just, you know, spread the
0: the wisdom. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. It's, uh, it's really nice having your support. You've always been uh, very supportive of other people, which I think is, is really cool. Um, I, I really appreciate that. You
1: know, look, it's a mentality of abundance, right? It's like,
0: I don't see, even people in my city, I'm like, I don't see a
1: reason to f- have a mentality of scarcity. Like, yeah. you have a great skill set that's very different than mine. And uh, if you can help uh, a huge number of people, Man, even if a good number of my demographic goes over to your business, like great, go learn from you, right? Mm-hmm. We all have something to learn, man, and I learn from you, and we make we get better, buddy. That that's what it's all about. For me, my big mission in life is really just to shift the fitness industry. It's it's not to retire alone, wealthy uh, at the top of some mountain or on some deserted island, right? Mm-hmm. Like let's shift the whole world, man.
0: Yeah, it's um it's a great mentality to have, and um I do remember you know. Obviously, uh, we we met for the first time in person when we were at the the muscle camps when you came to Sydney last January, and it really struck me how you were throwing it back to the audience and saying like, oh, you know, you're getting questions, but then saying, hey, actually, we know someone. There's someone in the audience who knows a lot about this. Like, what's your opinion on it? Here's my take. What's your opinion? And what do you guys think? And 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 kind of bringing people together that way.
1: Yeah, I certainly don't claim to be an expert in everything. You know, there's certainly things you've studied a lot more than I have, and you know, I have a pretty good idea of the things that I know worked for me and the things that I've studied well and the things I continue to study. But, you know, you have a very unique skill set. It's tremendous skill set. And I think, you know, why would I try to hoard uh, attention, right? Like if, mm. if we can help people, then health, like, come on, let's share it, right? And Maybe I learned something along the way, which I definitely did.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so you're coming back to Australia, but uh, last time you were out with Jordan, and this time you're coming out with Milos, and I thought that was that was really interesting because he's a, you know, a, an unbelievable, um, you know, guy himself in terms of like the the dedication he has and the knowledge he has, and I just wanted to kind of ask you, um, you know, what's what's your relation to, to Milos, and, and how come you sure. decided to team up with him? man, obviously Jordan's a brilliant, brilliant guy.
1: And and Mm. that course was much more academically oriented. And this one probably will be as well, but it's a completely different thing, right? So with Jordan, I did, it was this beautiful integration of strength and size, this integration of how to get strong and how to get big. And, Mm. you know, that, Uh, You know, you can't, nobody's going to touch Jordan's skill set when it comes to teaching people how to get strong and mobile and, and, you know, mobility, stability, strength, right? It's this kind of trilogy and, um, you know, I love that time. It was an amazing time. And this year, you know, Milos is really a completely different skill set and it's just really focused around muscle, not a lot of focus around strength. So we're going to go deep into, you know, everything there is to learn about putting on a lot of muscle in a short amount of time and ultimately getting in great condition so a completely different curriculum, right? And I'm, everyone's like, oh, it's going to be the same. It's honestly going to be completely different. Like, you know, last year I was very focused on teaching execution, execution mastery. And I think that's the foundation of everything that everyone misses. And this year I want to get into some different stuff. So I want to get into kind of the other things that go into building a great body, everything that's kind of outside the gym. So you know um, how to to optimize the mind, how to optimize, and not just mindset. That sounds like I'm going to give you like a motivational speech or like inspiration or something. It's not that It's actually diving into a little bit of the neurophysiology, mm. um, understanding um, the autonomic nervous system is going to be a big part of it. Understanding a little bit of nutrition, um, and so I'm not certainly an expert on nutrition, but what I do is give people kind of a, a paradigm, kind of a framework off which to base uh, you know intelligent nutrition. And I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of biochemistry. Uh, but what I might get into is how to integrate um, your nutrition and your training, nutrition and cardio and all the mistakes people are making when it comes to uh, overlapping those things. Right? Most people don't consider the, the necessary um, relationship between training and, and nutrition when it's a huge missed opportunity, as is heart rate variability, as is some tricks and hacks to optimize sleep and paying attention to your environment. And so I call those things like my six pillars of a lean, healthy and muscular physique. So I'm really going to dive into that. And let me kind of do his thing on, uh, just how to build muscle. And he's really good at, you know, understanding what it takes to build muscle. And there's no one in the world that trains as hard as that guy. And I think people can get a huge amount of value from that. Right. So I'm kind of teaching this integrative holistic piece and Milos is kind of teaching this hardcore, uh, just like, you know, get your balls out of your purse kind of, kind (laughs) of piece. And, uh, you know, I think there's beauty in that, right? Like sometimes people who train my style, quote unquote, my, you know, the muscle intelligence way, tend to take it too far to the extreme of like, oh, it has to be perfect. And I'm like, well, yeah, you got to learn the skill. And you know, there's this whole motor unit recruitment, mo- motor learning thing. Uh, but then we have to actually learn to work hard. So this this integration, I think, is just a beautiful synergy. And honestly, even teaching me Milos- a lot of stuff about how to do things correctly and he's teaching me a lot of stuff about what your body what your body's capable of and the amount of volume you can recover from if you learn to balance your autonomic nervous system and your carbohydrates and and push recovery and so that's really what we're going to talk about there'll be some programming included some recovery protocols uh, but completely different than last year
0: yeah, really cool. I, I love that that, um, you know, it's not just about the training stimulus. It's like there's there's a lot going on with this organism. And so I think that's yeah, really it, interesting. It's certainly a
1: big thing, but it's, it's, you know, one piece of the pie, right? One mm-hmm. piece of the puzzle, man. And people don't get that. It's like the, the training stimulus is just kind of, the way I picture it is you're just kind of shifting your body away from homeostasis, right? So your body mm-hmm. rests at this homeostatic spot. And we're going, okay, how, how much can I nudge it away here? And then look for that kind of allostatic response back where your body bounces back stronger. And that time between, you know, stimulus and recovery is really needed to be optimized. How can we shorten that window to get you back in the gym? And then also looking at what's, what's, um, system am I stimulating, right? Am I stimulating the nervous system, the muscular system, the, the metabolic system, um, you know, what are, what are we challenging here? And, and uh, being able to kind of objectify that as, as much as possible. And then obviously the overlap of nutrition.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think really struck me uh, when, when we spoke as well is that there's obviously um, a big focus in research on stuff like, okay, training volume. And, and things like that, but there's there 's also different types of evidence, and many of the sort of so called evidence based crowd don 't really seem to get this that there 's different sources of information there 's different applications and research studies are not necessarily complete. Could you talk a little bit more about that <laughs> yeah, man um,
1: well, so after having worked very closely with some people in a lab many labs, um, you realize that the studies are limited in many ways so mm. The first thing that people should acknowledge is most studies that are run today are usually based off of a previous study, the result of a previous study. Uh, and maybe they're based off of someone's previous hypothesis, but typically there, there's some foundational studies that we just assume are true, and we try to build some type of um, you know, volume or some type of stack on top of that, right? So we have this, we have this study, and we're like, okay, well, we know that's true, and then so because we know that's true, let's try to add some things on top of that and see if this is also true. But here's the problem. sometimes that that source data isn't isn't true, right? Like we're basing enough data like oh, that was true and that was replicable, but now we're learning something different about neuroscience or now we're learning something different about physiology or you know, or, or just the study just wasn't accurate to begin with. like they didn't mm-hmm. know anything about biomechanics. Okay, well, now we're basing this new study on false data to begin with. so that's one kind of foundational thing that often happens you know and then you're looking at well then you're looking at master's level students who are running these studies okay well nothing against master's level students they're obviously very intelligent people but they're also very limited in their scope limited in their exposure so maybe their thought process is is limited or maybe their ability to consider confounding variables is limited you don't know what you don't know so there's a limitation there um, you know there's probably three to five different limitations that we could start throwing out as to why these studies may or not, may not be accurate. The other one that comes to mind also is some of them are funded, right? Like if I come to you and I say, Luke, um, you know, I have this supplement company and you know, this is the product I have. And there's a huge issue like with funding in the lab. If you, if you're running a university lab, your primary job as the head of the lab is to go out and get funding for research. That's literally your job. You're effectively a salesman. And you know, that's, sad but the reality so a lot of these guys are going out and saying hey i got a million bucks for the study from you know the milk board or something and the milk board wants us to prove that chocolate milk is the best pre-workout or post-workout well if we want that money to come back again we're going to find what what they want us to find and you know i don't want to say anybody's doing things immorally but the reality is human nature is that hey man i either get the, a result that's favorable or i don't eat next year or my lab mm-hmm. is closed or like that's a big issue so again not everyone's like for sure. But there's certainly some. So there's a lot of reasons, right? And, and, you know, one thing that I was talking about just this past week, I was out in California doing some meetings with some really, really bright people. And I was like, the necessary next step of research is the integration of neuroscience, um, biochemists and exercise physiology, right? Uh, Exercise physiologists. So, you know, if I'm an exercise physiologist, I may not know biomechanics. I may not know, um, neuroscience. So until I start to understand those potential confounding variables, I think it becomes very, very challenging for me to create uh, significant research right? that research that actually can move the needle right certainly there's, we, we, can, we can kind of validate these little things and rate this work better than this and this really really small population. But until you start to understand all the confounding variables it 's very hard to create a study that 's effective and uh, useful as far as application. so you know, there's this, this concept now of like a deep generalist, right? It's most people try to be a specialist and like mm. I want to be a specialist in exercise phys, and I want to be the master of, you know, I don't know, whatever myokines or I want to be the, the expert of whatever it may be. But we're seeing now maybe the, the greatest value lies in this concept of being a deep generalist, which is like, Hey, I have a really good understanding of neuroscience. I have a really good understanding of biomechanics and I have a really good understanding of exercise fizz. And because, I'm not, and I'm not the best in any of them, but because I'm really good at each of them. I'm not saying it's about myself. It's a general statement, but because I'm really good in each of them, now I have the ability to kind of see how, how all these things might overlap, and okay, well, no, I can't do that because that doesn't make sense, or I can't make that, that deduction because those things don't add up, and maybe getting those three different experts in the room and going, okay, well, we're going to study this. What do you think? I think that's maybe where the next... Uh, evolution of research lies is there has to be an integrated approach. And I get the idea of isolating a single variable and that's how you're going to make it, uh, you know, statistically significant, et cetera, et cetera. But there's always, I mean, often confounding variables that you just don't know about like the fact that we don't know what actual signal, what signals hypertrophy. Well, that's a big problem. Right? Yeah. Like you need to have an understanding for that. Like there's so many things we don't know, but it's really awesome that our, tech is getting so much better, like mm. growing at an exponential rate to allow us to actually study these things. So long winded an answer, but that seems to be the gist of it.
0: Yeah, a lot of value in that. And I think I really like that idea of um, generalism. I think that probably applies across the board to, to many areas of life. Uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting thing. So, you know, with that said, like, how, how do you integrate, like, what you learn? I mean, how, how do you test stuff out? How do you come up with moving your own ideas forward? Well, I think, you know, you've got a beautiful skill set to start looking at things
1: objectively because there's certainly this this large subset of things that we know, right? We know, or at least we have a very good idea of what's happening in, you know, the mitochondria when you eat food, when you exercise. We know what's happening in the aerobic system. We know what's happening in the anaerobic system. We have a pretty good idea of how the muscles recruit uh, or how the nervous system recruits muscle fibers. and. And, uh, you know, we have a pretty good idea of, you know, that tension is probably the number one thing that we know is correlated with muscle growth. And mm-hmm. there's a certain number of things that if we start kind of examining at a, at a foundational level that, you know, there's a small number of things that we know are true and we should base all of our, at least our foundations off of that. Right. Mm-hmm. So what are those? Like we know that an exercise, lo- people think load is king. And, and I, I see people post that all the time. I'm like, man, <laughs> it's just nonsense to me. Like it just doesn't make any sense. And, and if you think about it at a deep level, well, there's certainly a 90 pound you know, Olympic lifter up there, lifting 400 pounds above her head. And you say, well, load is king. Well, why is she 90 pounds and able to lift this maybe weight over her head? Well, it's not just the load, because like she's moving it with momentum and her nervous system is very efficient. So, and she didn't put on any muscle. Okay, well, there's something there, right? So. Load isn't necessarily king in my eyes. Tension is king, right? Your body mm-hmm. needs to understand tension. And then you're looking at the, you know, the side it's principle of recruitment is saying that your body will always recruit the fastest or the, the largest muscle fibers first. Well, is that true? You know, I question that, right? Like maybe, uh, that makes a lot of sense if it's, if something is done in a particular sequence that it's always been done in your body remembers these movement patterns and we start to adjust those things. Maybe we could adjust that or, or maybe we can get past the, the, big muscle fibers and into the smaller muscle fibers, and you know, we kind of just start to think our way down this path of, okay, we, know, we have this one piece of information that we seem to know is is very, very likely to be true, like al- almost certain that this, this is true. We never know for sure, but we say this with a high degree of certainty, this is how this works. Okay, what can I int- intelligently extrapolate from that that's going to benefit me? That's really it, right? And I think most people just don't have that foundational knowledge of biochemistry or biomechanics or whatever it happens to be to be able to make those decisions. So it comes down to guys like you and me to uh, boil it down in a simple way that goes, hey, this is what we know. Now let's base some intelligent decisions off this.
0: Mm, cool, yeah, I, I really like that approach. It's um, definitely the way to move forward and, and certainly not uh, the, the, oh, do you have a study for that? No, I don't care, okay, see ya. Yeah.
1: Oh, man, it's, it's silly to me to hear those people, but you know what, <laughs> there's, there's, there's people out there in academia who are perpetuating that, right, and it's kind of mm-hmm. sad and I'm not going to throw names out there, but there's certainly these people who are like, oh, there's, you know, show me the data. I'm like, fuck the data. Like, uh, you know, I'll show you the thousand clients that I've worked with over the last 10 years. How's that sound from data? Yeah. Like, you know, like I can show you what the source data is. Like, hey, okay, here's the foundation of my my decision. And then here's the 500 people that I followed it up with, it's worked with. And, you know, is it, is, there's nothing that's going to work in everything, right? Like it's it, you can't say that. Hey, this is going to work for everybody. So I think that's the next step in uh, fitness optimization is looking at people's genetics and customizing it based on your genetics yeah. and your epigenetic expression. So I've been doing quite a bit of studying in that realm. Like certainly not as much as I'd like to, because there's so many things you need to study. But um, there's certainly a consideration there where you go, okay, well this person can be more fast switched, This person uses carbohydrates well. This person right. uses fat well. Um, and there's certainly some things you can kind of get a pretty good idea for or based on genetics. And again, even that we don't know for sure, right? And this is the obscurity of it, right? So, you know, hey, hey Luke, I have this great study on um, this, this SNP, and I'll make up some name. And there's there's one study that says this study is correlated with being more fast twitch. and you, And if you actually read the study, it's like, hey, well, it was done in like, six 90-year-old ladies in Japan. <laughs> and you're like, oh, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Like, how can we make that conclusion? There, there's so many of those uh, around genetics, there's so many really, really small studies in really obscure populations. So you're like, okay, well that can't be equated to anything relevant because it's just insignificant. So, so five years from now, fast forward, millions and millions of studies being done on, you know, trying to qualify or quantify these uh, SNPs, single nucleotide polymorphisms that are going to be correlated with particular predispositions. Now we've got something, right? Now we've got something to work. Mm-hmm. That's the future.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's very interesting to see um, where that moves. It'd be super, super interesting. Um, I wanted to ask you a, a couple of other things, uh, you know, as many people know that you... You were one of the world's top pro bodybuilders a few years ago. And I found it quite interesting when we were talking one-on-one, just how you dealt with that transition into something else. Because obviously bodybuilding was, was such a, a, a narrow focus for you at that time. You were so obsessed with it and then you had to kind of give that up at some point and move on to something else. And I just wanted to get a sense of how you redirected that focus and, and where you're, you're putting that focus now.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people go through that at some point in their life, right? They're, they're Mm -hmm. living some reality and whether it be in a relationship or a job or something needs to shift and it's very hard to let go because it's, it's part of your identity. So I think I have a unique advantage, um, in that I never said that bodybuilding is who I am, or I never felt Mm -hmm. that bodybuilding is who I am. It's just what I did. That's huge. There's so many young bodybuilders who, of attached to hey i'm a bodybuilder this is who i am and i think that's a really dangerous place to come at the world at least as far as your belief system right obviously we know we can change our belief system but i think anybody out there who aspires to do anything or who's deep into anything realize your profession is not who you are right it's what you do and who you are at a deeper level is is a powerful human being that can do anything that you set your mind to it's it's the skill set that you develop along the path and I think when I had that realization, I also had that realization early on. I tell the story all the time mm. that it wasn't until after my second professional bodybuilding show that I ever told anybody that I was a bodybuilder. Right? It was like, you uh, know, I was getting paid a lot of money by that time, and like, hey, yes, I, I do. You are you a bodybuilder? No, nah, I, mean, I, I just train. I love to work out, and you know, I train multiple times a day. I compete, but I, I mean, you know, I wouldn't go out and tell people I'm a You get these like. 18 year old kids now who've never competed or maybe they competed once and they're walking around, you know, puffing their lats out saying, I'm a bodybuilder. And I think that's a, You know, again, just a thought to to consider is, you know, trying to identify as something that um, doesn't necessarily define you or shouldn't define you kind of corners you into this little box, right? It's like, well, Mm. now you've got to keep up with that. Now you've got to meet those expectations externally. Like for me, I had no external expectations. It was for me, it was all about the internal drive like I just want to be better I don't give a shit what anybody else thinks so you know and and to be honest once I shifted to starting to like acknowledge that I was actually a bodybuilder because now I'm getting paid to do this thing I think my my motivation shifted from being this internal locus to this external thing Mm -hmm. and it really shifted my passion it really shifted my my drive you know right around that point maybe a little after that maybe around the time my kids were born my uh, motivation shifted to this external thing. Now, right now it's like about making money and it's about looking good. And, and as soon as that happened, man, I lost it. Like I really lost that that killer instinct that drove me to where I am. And there's a lot of, a lot to be learned there, a lot to be garnered that you know, this idea of, as soon as you make a motivation extrinsic, you'll, you'll, you'll shift, you know, maybe there's an argument to me that should be, it can be internal and external, hmm. but if it's just an external motivation, like you'll see it in kids, right? It's like, if your kids are enjoying doing push-ups and you go, hey, if you go do 10 push-ups, I'll give you a cookie. They're never going to do push-ups again yeah. own, right? all, uh, right? So you're shifting that motivation from that intrinsic motivation to an external one. And, you know, I've learned that the hard way with my kids. You know, not much to give cookies, but certainly things where you try to incentivize it on the outside and uh, mm. it's just a terrible idea.
0: So, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, obviously, there's something where you know you're running a business now as well as well so that's like a, a really tough thing um because there are some numbers that like you've you've got to kind of keep an eye on but at the same time you've obviously got a goal of impacting people's lives and and that sort of thing so uh, you know i was wondering how you maybe balance those sure those two and i think balance is bs right i won't curse on your show but i think balance
1: mm-hmm. is, is bs maybe i've already cursed on the show. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> So, yeah, I think it doesn't exist. Like Mm -hmm. you realize that if you want to be great at anything, balance is just not even an option, right? The people who you find who are really, really good at something are literally the ones who are, you know, chaining themselves to the squat rack and saying, Hey, I'm going to stay here until I'm done. What I need to do, right? It's literally that it's not the mentality of, Oh, I'm just going to do a little bit today. There's no such thing as lukewarm, as mediocre as halfway Mm -hmm. in, right? You're either all in or you're not. And uh, so this balance thing is just a myth. But I think for me, the way that I am able to um, keep, you know, uh, a lot of plates in the air, a lot of things juggling, uh, juggling a lot of things in the air is trying to be all in on everywhere I am. So if I'm, you know, in a conversation with you, like there's no phone, there's nothing around. If I'm in a conversation with my children, same idea. If I'm in a conversation with business, same idea. You know, and, and ideally in the gym as well, and I'm certainly not perfect, but that's the, that's the kind of jumping off point is my objective is I'm going to be all here. I'm going to be all in and uh, I can give it everything I've got. Uh, Cause if my hand, if my mind is, is distracted and pulled somewhere else, no matter what I'm doing, I'm not going to be doing my best. So, you know, that's a big tip for everybody is learn uh, deep work, right? Is learning this concept, Cal reports concept of deep work, which just means if I'm in a conversation with you, I'm in a conversation with you and I can learn to be all in. And I think learning to say no is a big thing as well. Mm. It's very easy to get in our current modern society to get pulled in many different directions. And uh, that's, um, you know, so I guess coming around to the answer to the question uh, maybe a little more accurately is, you know, I believe when it comes to, um, you know, balancing um, giving people everything I can, giving people uh, attention, giving people uh, knowledge, giving people all of my energy attention and making a profit, I think that they shouldn't be, uh, there shouldn't be a separation. They don't need to be mutually exclusive. Right. I think the more selflessly I give to everyone, I find it just tends to come back in the beginning. You're like, I'm doing a lot of stuff for free. Mm -hmm. But eventually you start to realize that, you know, and I say this about social media all the time, like I don't post on social media a lot, but I have thousands and thousands of people that post for me because I'm doing so much for them. And that's, that's the beauty, right? It's like, Mm There's always somebody around you, no matter how small your circle is, that you can help. And as soon as you help that person and you do it from an altruistic place, they they become your greatest advocate. And, and over time, you know, the you know, the 10-year overnight success or often much more than 10 years, over time now I have thousands and thousands and thousands of people who I've helped selflessly as best I could at the time, and not saying it was perfect, but it's certainly the best I was able to. And now they're like, Hey, you know, thank you. And, and that's what drives business. So sure. There's a famine in the beginning. Sometimes uh, you don't have to be a, a salesman. You can certainly get ahead uh, just and pay your dues, right? Like one person at a time, if there's someone in front of you right now that you can impact. And if we can do that from a, from a selfless place, all of a sudden that person in front of you, like I say, becomes your greatest advocate and, and your greatest supporter.
0: And that, that circle grows. Yeah. I love it, man. And, and, uh, ironically that makes you much happier as well and and able to give more as well.
1: Yeah. It's hard too, right? Like it's actually very hard because we all fear rejection at some level. So if I'm, if I'm super nice to you and super kind and super giving and I come up and I like throw my arm around you and go, Hey man, I'd love to help you with your business. I'd love to help you with, with your understanding of this or whatever it is. Uh, and you reject me. Well, that just, that knocks me down pretty hard, right? You kind of mm-hmm. lose that oxytocin bump that you're looking for, that dopamine bump you're looking for. And, uh, I think that, you know, that fear and anxiety that starts to build can be crippling for some people. But I think the concept is like, once you get it once or twice, you can, you can keep going after that, that dopamine fix that you get from helping people and ultimately it can be a selfish thing too. Like I help people because it makes me feel really, really good. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a, you know, I'll choose that drug any day over, you know, whatever, uh, destructive thing people are doing for themselves nowadays like help that person you feel good help that person you feel good and hey, that's a good drug to be addicted to and yes like i say, there's going to be the times when you get knocked down but you know hopefully you have the courage to keep going and uh and help one next
0: person yeah totally um i i also uh have a, a interesting question for you that i uh, did a little bit of background on and i wanted you to Explain to me the impact of Wayne Dyer on your life. Interesting, man. So thank you for asking that in 2007, I was in a really hard time in my
1: life. I was going through, at least what I said was a really hard time, you know, looking back on it's always kind of comical, (laughs) but I I was having a hard time with the girl I was with and she was, you know, causing a lot of stress for me. And she looking back on a wonderful human being. We just weren't right for each other. And so, I'm sure most people can relate to this idea of there's probably one person in your life who just knows how to push your buttons and knows how to set you off, whether it may make you angry or make you upset or whatever happens to be. And it really tugged at my strings to know that anyone in the world could make me angry, could make me like act irrationally and make me feel like I was just doing something that was unnatural for me. And there's two people like that at the same time. So, you know, you know, you kind of given your, your, uh, offered a few options at that point, right? You're like, okay, you can either cut this person from your life completely or you can use this as an opportunity to become better. And so luckily I had a great mentor who said, Hey, no, 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 you're not going to cut this person from your life. If that happens, great, but you're going to use this as an opportunity to learn how to not be reactive. So he gave me a meditation he gave me a book and both of them happened to be by Wayne Dyer. And this concept of, um, you know, just kind of sitting with yourself and and seeing who you are at your core, you know, like, idea of who am I and what is my natural state and am I angry at my core or is that just something that the world has kind of imparted on me because of my scenario or because of you know my history or whatever so sitting with it I started to realize that you know I could um I didn't have to be reactive and Wayne Dyer was really the first guy who uh, got me into meditation again I didn't I did get a chance to meet him a little bit later and I'll tell that story in a second but That's really what it was, is he's just got such a beautiful outlook on life. So long story short, I read four or five of his books, did his meditation almost daily for probably a year, and I was into bodybuilding at this time. I think I had just got my pro card. Maybe just, no, yeah, I think just just before I got my pro card. And then I moved to California, and here's the irony of life. I moved to California and my very first day in California, so I'd been to California before in Venice and I'd you know, been there for many months at a time, but this time I was actually like moving for a few years and I get there and I always took the same path to the gym. I always went, you know, from my, my same, my same routine was I'd land in LAX, I'd grab a car, I'd drive straight to the firehouse, I'd have lunch, breakfast, whatever it was, and I'd go train. And uh, it was always the same. I'd probably done it 15 times. And this day, for whatever reason, I decided to take a different path. And I go past the, uh, the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium. And I see on the billboard appearing tonight, Dr. Wayne Dyer. And I was like, "Whoa, okay. So I had, I think four hours or something to get, to get there and get back. So I, I booted home, didn't work out, came back, got there at seven Oh five. And I walk in and his daughter a- and is singing at the front of the stay at the front of the, the auditorium and I'm sitting in the back. And it was just the most beautiful thing to watch their bond um, and, you know, see them interacting and seeing his, his temperament and, And I honestly aspire to be what he is or what he was, right? This beautiful author who touched millions and millions of people just because of his his altruistic desire to help. And so, um, you know, long story short, I actually am acquainted with his daughter now. I named my daughter after his daughter just because of the relationship they had. And, uh, you know, he's someone who's impacted my life massively. Unfortunately, we lost him a few years ago to uh, leukemia. But uh, again, still, still lives in my heart, man. He's been a big impact. Wow.
0: Massive, man. Um, You know, that—that I think that can't be understated, that sort of internal work and that um, spending time with yourself, it it gets a little harder with uh, technology and the way the the world is at the moment, but uh, something that is just so important. What's the only way,
1: right? It's it's literally the only way to discover who you are, uh, what you love. And, you know, I say this all the time on my podcast and when I'm interviewed is, now, the person that you think you are right now is not you in reality, right? It's the person you've become to receive acceptance and love and not be ostracized from your community. So, all these things that you think you know and you love, and, and the way you dress and the way you talk and the way you act is literally a reflection of your scenarios, not necessarily who you are at your core, even your voice, right? Like, people's voices can change massively according to their psychological state. And um, I think that's why we learn to be attracted to certain people and unattract to other people. You know, the voice can be a big, big thing. Um, But yeah, so it's so important for us to start questioning, you know, what we think we know, what is our belief? Who are we? You know, question those identities. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a smoker. I'm a, I'm an alcoholic. I'm a whatever. Like you can question those things because they are not reality, right? Those are just reality as you've adapted to, as far as you've adapted to your scenario in life. So, you know, it's such a beautiful thing to know is that we can literally change anything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, speaking of that, you've, you had a lot of really smart and interesting people who, who many of them sort of preached a, a similar thing on your podcast. And I was wondering who, uh, who stood out in 2019, who, who had the biggest takeaways for you personally?
1: Um, geez, that's a long list. Um, so I don't know if it's 2019, but I'll kind of, I'll kind of, uh, throw some names out there for people who've made a big impact um someone who's in my life right now and uh hopefully looks like is going to be a significant part of my life going forward is dr andrew huberman Uh, oh man i was gonna say
0: i love that podcast i I think he's awesome
1: yeah he's he's absolutely brilliant and i got to spend the last couple days with him so he's front of mind and we've got some amazing plans for what we're gonna do later in the year um Joe Dispenza is a big, big influence on my life. He's on the podcast, I think it was toward the end of 2018. Um, John Martini is, uh, like if you haven't heard of that guy, if you haven't studied stuff, you probably know who he is, mm-hmm. but most people may not. Absolutely worth it. Um, honestly, Jordan Shell, man, Jordan. It, it's so one thing that I, you know, a lot of people aspire to be pro athletes. A lot of people aspire to be bodybuilders. A lot of people aspire to be whatever. Like the people who inspire me most are, Academics and people who have a what seems to be a natural good nature, like just a good-natured person. And when I find those people, whether it be academics or good-natured humans, I like to um, realize the value they bring, right? So whether or not they're a pro athlete or they're you know financially stable or wealthy or whatever, man, like those are the things that I feel like I aspire to most: is to have. Just this beautiful nature, this good natured um, existence, right? Like, I wanna be a kind person, I wanna have kind thoughts and treat people well. And uh, I wanna be able to use my brain really, really well. You know, I've gone through the physical aspect of my life, and now there's Mm -hmm. these other mountains to climb, is to, you know, never be, I mean, again, who knows if they never have a negative thought, but like, that's almost the intention is how can we live a life of just pure joy, bliss, kindness, and, and love? Um, and then also have a tremendous, um, brain power, right. The ability to access all of your thoughts, the ability to think through at a really deep level, you know, six layers deep kind of thing. And those are the things I aspire to now. So those guests stand
0: out to me and the list is long. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I, I really loved the, the talk that you had with Dr. Huberman about the plasticity of the brain and what we can do to, to change it and influence it, um, we've
1: been talking about that for the last two days and it's so much deeper than, you know, and that's what Mm. we'll be working on together is, you know, he's obviously very, very well-versed. I mean, world-class, right. If not one of the best in the world, the best, um, in in changing the brain from, from neuroscience perspective, but there's certainly a Mm. enhanced benefit when you integrate exercise, right? There's this Mm. enhanced neuroplastic state that may be, uh, more, maybe superior to any other opportunity that exists in life, right? Like short of, uh, rep- uh, reproducing childhood, like the next it seems the next most neuroplastic state is exercise. And, you know, some might argue like maybe there's something in psychedelics as well, but it's not something he talks about, but, you know, those seem to be your most, um, you know, rich opportunities for neuroplasticity. So how do we then leverage this plastic state that exists from exercise, from intense exercise to change your mind and change your brain and and ultimately carry that then not just from your workout, but into every other aspect of your life. And we're doing it now, right? We're doing it on a day-to-day basis, but how do we let everyone in this world know that we can do it consciously? We can literally pick our mind. We can pick the state that we want to anchor that we want to be better at And we could train it during a workout. And there's a definitive process that Dr. Huberman has identified on how to make sure this is uh, effective and it sticks and it's uh, replicable. And that's really what we're going to work on is how do you then take the exercise piece, um, benefit physically by building your body, and also tie in this mindfulness component that I preach and tie in this ability to change your Um, your your relationship with your mind and ultimately your mind's ability to process just by exercising the exercise we're already doing anyways now we can exponentially increase the benefit right and that's we can enter that conversation in a powerful way and give people a process that we know is replicable um, I think that's the next
0: big development in exercise yeah that's that's incredible I think uh, people will be very excited to hear a bit more about that you know um, for, for people who are interested in this piece of, uh, you know, I've been talking a lot about it with my audience in, um, you know, there's a lot more to life than like tracking your food and like getting into the gym, right? Um, to, to work on yourself and to, to do that internal work, where, where would you recommend people start? Like books and resources and stuff or just like within themselves? Yeah, or any practices or habits or anything in particular that sure has hand. the well, most.
1: I'll tell you what, the most powerful practice that anyone can implement is gratitude. And, you know, I I can't convince everyone to meditate, but I can certainly make a good argument for, you know, just being grateful for everything. And, you know, so I'm so lucky to have started this practice in 2007 Mm. because of Tony Robbins. And and it's funny. So I was of the mentality that when I was preparing for my, uh, my first nationals, my first Canadian nationals, I was doing an hour of cardio every morning and I would get up every day, dreading it, drag my butt out of bed and walk up to the treadmill or the the bike, whatever I was doing that day. And for the first month or something, I dreaded it. And then I was listening to Tony Robbins and and we said, Hey, we're going to start today with three minutes of gratitude. And I literally listened to that tape on repeat. It was a CD on repeat um, every single day during my prep. And it was like, Hey, we're going to start this for three minutes of gratitude. You do that every day for a month your life changes. So trying to do three minutes of gratitude straight without talking or sorry, without stopping is extremely challenging in the beginning, but it forces you to think deeply. So and it's just literally like, I'm so grateful for my children. I'm so grateful for my team. I'm so grateful for my business. I'm so grateful for my legs. I'm so grateful for my lungs. I'm so grateful for the sun and just go through it like that and just feeling the gratitude. So it's like, I'm so grateful for, and so it's not just a conscious thing. It's, it's a, an emotional embodied thing. And if we can embody the feeling of gratitude by and anchor that every morning, now we can take that with us for the rest of the day because you know how to produce it. Right? Eventually you become an expert at it. And in any situation you go into, you can take that with you. Whether or not it's something you feel like you shouldn't be grateful for, you can absolutely find it. You know, it's funny. So there's always someone in your life or something in your life that rubs you the wrong way. And I always challenge my kids and I challenge my team like, Hey, okay, what can you be grateful for about this? It's like, there's always an opportunity. There's always a lesson. There's always an opportunity for growth that lies in every obstacle and see it. And if you can train your brain to see it without having to go through the stress you mm-hmm. win life, right? So as soon as I see something wrong, I'm like, okay, what can I learn from this? What, how can I grow? What can I be grateful for? And I've just missed the whole uh, stress response because I've immediately trained my brain to go, okay, what's to learn? How am I getting better? Thank you for this obstacle, right? Thank you for this opportunity to get better because I've never done this before. Life's just a big game, man. People go, Ben, why'd you open a gym? Because I wanted to learn. <laughs> like, yeah. I didn't know how to run a gym. I'm like, hey, Ben, why'd you start this business? Because I wanted to learn, right? It's the same reason why you read a book. Why'd you pick up a book today, Luke? Because I wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. Everything's the same, man. If you see it that way, like it's not just about reading the book, it's how you implement it into your life. So you know, long and short of it, summar, summarizing all that, it's like, Gratitude is is the gateway to a happy mind and finding ways to be grateful to be grateful for everything everything
0: Yeah, amazing man. Um, some very powerful lessons to be learned there uh, I'm, I'm conscious of your time my man Um, so I just wanted to ask you to plug all of your your stuff Obviously you got the muscle camps coming up, which will be phenomenal. They were really great last time and i'm sure with uh, alongside milos It's going to just be next level
1: Yeah, um Jeez, so muscle camps in Dubai at the end of January, and first week in February is Sydney at Kingdom, and second week in February is Melbourne at Doherty's and third week in February is a Body Factory in Bali. So that'd be fun, um, and honestly, like I say, it's just fun, man. Like I get to go and, and engage with some brilliant, brilliant people, I have a great time with Milos, and uh, spend four weeks on the road learning, training, and uh, ultimately seeing new parts of the world, man. It's awesome. And I hope many people can join us because, you know, I think you know, it sounds cliche, but I always make it my objective to make it life-changing for everyone. And I know that's, mm. that term is often overused, but I think it's possible, right? So between Mike Milos and I, we have this very, very unique skill set. And it doesn't mean that I'm better than anybody, but both of us have a wide array of information in a vast number of areas. And for most people that attend those camps, they're like, "Hey, this completely changed the way I look at exercise, or this completely changed the way I look at my body, or completely changed my belief as to whether or not I can get results that's the goal, right? Now this idea of like giving you a framework for rapid transformation of body and mind, and that's kind of the, the title of this course is that it's not going we 're not going to go through the, the detailed biochemical pathways like you could but we're gonna give you this foundational um, knowledge so you can start saying, okay, knowing all of these pillars, which one single thing at a time is gonna help me move the needle the most for me, right? And that that for for 95% of the population is all they need, right? So most people are so busy looking at training or nutrition or one one of these things, instead of looking at the big picture of their body, right? The internal environment creates the external environment, so the internal environment of my body, Creates the external manifestation of muscle or fat or whatever. Um, so if we give them the, tool, the tools, it can empower them to change their body and their life. Um, so yeah, long and short of it is that. And then uh, Muscle Intelligence podcast is a great place to find me. I'm doing those twice a week now. So one is awesome. uh, a, an amazing guest. We have such brilliant, brilliant guests, and and so many more to come. And we also have uh, Q and A's that we do once a week, also with my co-host Ashley Van houten who's fun and awesome and and uh, great to have her. She, she adds a new dynamic, a new uh, level to the podcast. Um, and muscleintelligence.com is probably another great place to find us. We do coaching. We do, we have programs, custom or um, pre-prepared for, kind of to fit everyone's needs. And that's constantly growing. We're building out a really cool thing actually, Luke. And um, you know, it's uh, you know, kind of, bringing in experts from all these different areas. And I think I mentioned this to you last year. It's like, mm. you know, we've got some brilliant nutritionists coming in. We've got some brilliant geneticists coming in, some brilliant neuroscientists coming in, some brilliant doctors coming in, all to contribute in their area. Because I always say, you know, that muscle intelligence isn't about me. Like, it's not the Ben show and it, it never was meant to be, right? Sometimes it evolved to that, but it's never meant to be that. I always wanted to, to emphasize the information and, and the results. So we're doing our best to bring in all of these different experts, uh, in different areas. And you know, some that stand out that people don't typically see breathing. There's a breathing module coming Mm. out, not yet, but it will, there's a yoga module coming out, yoga for bodybuilders. There's a mobility module coming out and like we're building all these modules to give you the resources to be able to change your body in one place. And that's, uh, hopefully a useful asset.
0: for people. Yeah. Phenomenal man. Um, thanks so much for everything that you do. Uh, it, it really is, um, impacting a lot of people positively. And I'm, I'm just so stoked to be able to call you a friend and to have you on the podcast, man. Thanks for doing this, man. It's
1: my pleasure. And hopefully I get to see you when I'm out in Sydney. I'm there for about a week, man. So let's definitely make a time to get together, at least get a lift in or get some
0: more food. Totally. Yeah, we'd love to. That'd be awesome. Sounds great. Okay, cool. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming on and we'll chat soon.